I think they are some of the, the biggest questions that all of us face. Why do bad things happen in this world? Why is there so much suffering and pain and death? If this is God's world that he created so perfectly to reflect and reveal his glory, then why is it in such a mess? And if God cares, then why doesn't he do anything about it? Well, Genesis chapter 3 tells us the reason for this. A few weeks ago we were looking at the crime that was committed in the Garden of Eden. How Adam and Eve sinned against God. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, despite God clearly forbidding them to do so. And then last week we looked at how God investigated this crime. Inviting Adam and Eve to step out of their hiding place and confess their guilt and their shame and their fear. But today we're going to look at what might be described as the sentencing of Adam and Eve. Where God described the terrible consequences of their actions. And it's these consequences that we are still struggling with today. But this passage is not just a passage about God's justice in condemning the guilty and explaining the mess that's all around us. Amazingly, this passage is also about God's grace in sending a Saviour who offers salvation to all who trust in Him. It's a passage that beautifully brings together justice and grace. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 3. We're going to break in at verse 14 down to the verse 19. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, down to verse 19. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. The first person that came before God as judge was, of course, the serpent. As we saw a few weeks ago, there's a great kind of deal of ambiguity in this passage about who the serpent really is. To some extent, he just appears to be an animal that God created. But other, enough from other parts of the Bible, we can actually learn that he is something more than that. He's actually Satan. 
He's the devil. Remember the, we read from Revelation chapter 12 where it talks about that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. So there's the ambiguity there. It seems in one sense God is just talking about, the Bible's just talking about a, a snake. In another sense he's talking about Satan. And that kind of ambiguity continues in this passage. On, on one level, God is here, again, just talking to a snake. But on a deeper level, we know he's talking to Satan. Previously, we read in Genesis 3 that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. We saw how clever and cunning and deceitful he was in deceiving Eve, tempting her to give in to her selfish desires. But now, as a result of his rebellion, he will be more cursed than all of the wild animals. Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. Up to now, in our study of the book of Genesis, we've seen God as the blessing God. He's the God who blesses. He blesses the sea creatures and the birds. He blesses human beings. He even blesses the seventh day as a day of rest. But here we see that God is also a cursing God. He's a God who denounces sin. Who judges wrongdoing. Who responds appropriately to those who defy his rightful rule over their lives. And we need to remember both of those aspects of who God is. And one of the, the consequences of this curse is that God told the serpent that you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. <coughs> now some people think this meant that the serpent had legs before that. I don't know if that's the case or not. But what is clear is that from that moment on, the serpent would move along the ground on his belly. And that fits with what we know about snakes today. But it's also an appropriate punishment for the serpent. Because the serpent tried to raise himself up above God. He questioned God's words. He criticised God's commands. He condemned God's motives. He was raising himself up above God as, and judging God. But as a result of that, he'll be brought low. He'll be brought right down to the ground. Crawling on the ground with a mouthful of dust. It's an illustration of the truth that the Bible talks about lots of times. And Jesus declared, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But there's more to this than that. God also said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And on one level, that just seems to be saying that there's going to be a kind of animosity between mankind and snakes. As at least some of those snakes are dangerous to human life. I think many of us are happy that we don't have snakes here in Ireland. Although I don't know if you can thank Patrick for it. Sorry if you do. But there's more to this here. This is not just talking about the animals between snakes and mankind. This is talking about the animals between Satan 
and mankind. Now, he tries to masquerade as an angel of light. He might tell us that he is on our side, that he wants our best. He might advertise his way as a way of fun and pleasure and fulfilment. But he's a dangerous enemy. Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He may try and deceive us in thinking that he's out to bring us life, but actually he's there to kill us. But the great thing is, this passage says that he will be a defeated enemy. Although his striking is painful, his crushing will be fatal. So Paul wrote, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And from this I think we should learn about the seriousness of going against God. God is the sovereign Lord. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He is the standard of what is good and holy. So to go against God in rebellious defiance is a serious crime. And the consequences are drastic. It's a crucial lesson for us to learn. Especially as we live in a world where sin is minimized. Where it's glossed over. Where it's excused, justified, sometimes even celebrated. God deserves our total obedience. And those who disobey have much to fear. Hebrews 10 says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But of course, Satan was not the only one to blame for the fall in the Garden of Eden. So God then turned to pronounce his judgment on the woman. Verse 16. First of all, there was a, a promise of pain. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Giving birth to another human being is... Uh, another human being who's made in the image of God is a unique and precious gift given to women. And yet we know it's also incredibly painful. Now, I'm not an expert at that. I'm not going to stand up and claim I know exactly what that feels like. But I did watch Lorna give birth to her two daughters, so I can agree that it's painful. But there's much more pain associated with childbearing, isn't there? Think of the, pay, the, the heartbreak of infertility or miscarriage or all of the dangerous complications that can come through it or even the tragic loss of life through it. Childbearing is dangerous and painful. So why is it in this world? Why is it like that? Well, Genesis 3 says it's because of Eve's sin. When she came, gave in to the temptation from the serpent that you will be like God. 
she tried to go beyond her God-given role in creation. And the result of that was that her God-given role as mother would forever be impacted and disrupted by this reminder of death. It's a serious consequence of Eve's rebellion against God. But that was not the only impact of sin on the woman. God also said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. When Eve had been tempted, she went against what God had told Adam. Making, she made a completely independent and self-centered decision. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. She kind of dominated her husband and led him away from God's plan for their lives. And the consequence of this was that God's perfect plan for marriage would be disrupted. Instead of being loved and valued and respected and protected and provided for by her husband and by men in general, instead she now would be controlled and dominated and mistreated and insulted and exploited by them. And sadly, despite all of our claims to be so advanced as a society, the evidence of this can be seen all around us today. I looked at some statistics and they're shocking. I find them difficult even to accept as true. One in three women, or up to one billion women, have been abused in their lifetimes. One in three. 25% of all violent crimes reported in the world involve a man assaulting his wife or his partner. Isn't that shocking, guys? One in five women in Ireland claim to have been abused by a partner. Of the 209 women murdered in Ireland since 1996, 54% of them were at the hands of a partner or an ex-partner. And last year, Women's Aid received 16,946 disclosures of domestic violence against women in Ireland. Nearly 17,000. Now, let's be really clear. Genesis is not saying that that's okay. This passage cannot be used by any man to excuse him for discriminating or dominating or abusing any woman. That is not what the passage is saying at all. Some guys have used it as that way, but they're abusing the passage of Scripture. And they're going against what God is saying. God's design for humanity is that we love and respect and partner with each other as equals. But what this passage is saying is this is the the tragic consequence of sin in this world. When we reject the God-given design for our lives... We mess it up in devastating ways. But in case you guys think that we are getting off lately, we've already seen in our study in this passage that God saw Adam as the one who was ultimately responsible for bringing sin into this world. 
So God turned to Adam finally. Adam had sinned by eating what God had said, you must not eat of it. And so Adam would suffer in order now to produce food. The food that he needed to eat. So verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. God had always planned for Adam to work in his world as a gardener. In the Garden of Eden it had been a privilege and a joy to do that work. It had been fruitful and satisfying. But now it's going to be painful and tiring and frustrating and difficult. Part of that reason was because the ground would be working against them. Because it will produce thorns and thistles for you. These inedible and tough plants and weeds would become the bane of gardeners and farmers. Making producing food incredibly difficult in this world. So instead of living in a place of bountiful and accessible provision, mankind would from then on have to work really hard just to survive. By the sweat of your your brow, you will eat your food. Verse 19. But even with all of our effort, no matter how hard we try, we cannot prevent the inevitable destiny of all mankind. We We will work until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are. And to dust you will return. We know that's a reality, don't we? Despite all of our efforts and all of the advances in technology, the death rate is still the same as it always has been. Everyone who is born dies. It's a solemn reminder of what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God promised that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they would die. And God always keeps his word. Because the wages of sin is death. But we are here this morning to rejoice that that verse doesn't stop there. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 doesn't just say the wages of sin is death. But it goes on. To say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We messed up this world. We brought pain and suffering and death into it as the just consequences of our sin. But in his grace, Jesus has come to bring us life. And life in all of its fullness. And I think it's just so amazing, so beautiful, so exciting to see that this grace is even declared here in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15 of this chapter is often described as what what it says is the proto-evangelium, which is just one of those theological words that nobody understands what it means until you actually think. All it means is the first gospel. I don't know why they just don't call it the first gospel. It would be much easier. It's the first gospel. It's the first declaration of the coming Saviour. He will crush your head, saying to the serpent and the Satan, 
and you will strike his heel. God's plan was always to send his son. To be struck by the forces of evil. To suffer the curse of sin in his own body. And so to defeat the power of sin. And deal the death blow to Satan. And to provide a way of salvation to us. And this is what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, Colossians chapter 2 says. He made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them. By the cross. Yes, Satan struck Christ's heel. But Christ crushed Satan's head. That's the victory that we've been saying about this morning, isn't it? That's not all that's in this passage. Because the one who would do this, he was described here as the descendant of the woman. Did you notice that in verse 15? I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Now, in most societies, the family line is described as being through the man. But uniquely here, the one who would crush Satan's head is the offspring of the woman. And this was wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus, who was born of a woman. And that's pointing to the fact that Mary was obviously a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. Jesus was supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so although the just consequences of Eve's sin was the introduction of pain and death into the woman's role of childbearing, God graciously intervened through this childbearing, through another woman, to provide a saviour who would bring joy and peace. And although the just consequence of Eve's sin was that she would be dominated by men, right down through the centuries, God graciously intervened to provide a man who would offer true, loving leadership, who would love and respect and value all women, who would go completely counterculture, and would offer men and women true equality as children of God. And the way he would do this was through taking the curse of sin upon himself. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was told that he would eat food through the painful toil and by the sweat of your brow. Let me go back into the New Testament in the book of Luke. And we read that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And then when Adam was found rightly guilty before God, he was told that because of his sin, the land will produce thorns and thistles for you. 
But when Jesus was wrongly convicted by Pilate, the soldiers took Jesus and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. That symbol of the curse of God on mankind, on the ground because of mankind, was placed on Jesus' head in mockery. The soldier didn't understand what they were doing, but they're pointing, pointing towards the truth that Jesus was bearing the curse for them. And the ultimate consequence of Adam's sin, of course, was death. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. But on the cross, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what is wrong with this world? Well, it's because of sin. God, in his perfect justice, pronounced the sentence of suffering and curse and death on Adam because of his sin. And we still live in a world that's been impacted by this. But what has God done about this? Well, God, in his amazing grace, he took that sentence that should have been ours and he placed it on his son who paid for it in full on the cross so that we can be saved from the penalty of sin, the presence of sin, the power of sin and we can share in his victory over over Satan. This is the amazing message of the gospel. The perfect combination of justice and grace. This is what each one of us needs to accept. Through our faith in Jesus. This is also what the world needs to hear. And this is what heaven will celebrate for all eternity.